And I think so often we don't make the connection between our sex drive and the quality of the sex that we're having. I know you are doing the best that you can right now. Your relationships matter to you. You are important. And yet over time, we get stuck. We get lost or we stop showing up as our true self. We get hung up on the stories we tell ourselves, the comparisons, or feeling like we are not good enough. I'm Not Your Shrink is a podcast aimed at helping you feel connected to yourself, to others, and to live a life that is in line with what matters most to you. I'm Dr. Tracy Dalgleish, clinical psychologist and couples therapist. I bring you clinical knowledge and evidence-based research, experiences of sitting in the therapist chair, and being a wife and mother to talk about everyday issues we all face to help you change the dialogue in your life. Let's dive in. Hello, and thank you for tuning into another episode. I'm so glad that you are joining me here today because this episode is one that I have been wanting to bring you for so long to be able to sit with another colleague and therapist to talk specifically all things sex and intimacy. Like, what kind of myths do women hold around their bodies, around orgasms, around sex, the role of our own body confidence and self-worth in our sexuality, and the foundations of desire and what makes great sex? So I am thrilled to be sitting with Vanessa Marin. She is a licensed psychotherapist specializing in sex therapy, and she's here to help you stop feeling embarrassed about sex and start having way more fun in the bedroom. Vanessa has a bachelor's degree in human sexuality and sociology from Brown University and a master's degree in counseling psychology. She writes for the New York Times, Allure, and Lifehacker and has been featured over a thousand times in major publications like O, The Oprah Magazine, Harper's Bazaar, Refinery29, and Real Simple. Vanessa has many programs online that are there to help you transform your sex life from ordinary to extraordinary, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. So I will make sure I put all of the links in the show notes so that you can connect with Vanessa. She has so much to offer in this episode. Let's dive in. Vanessa, thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast. I'm so glad that we are sitting together again to do this episode. (laughs) Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad that we've connected recently and had a really great time being on the Be Connected community. And I'm glad to be here today too. Yes. And let me just first acknowledge and celebrate your 50,000 followers on Instagram. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Amazing work. It is such a cool space to be in and to connect and meet people. So that's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, we just hit that today. And, you know, it's it's always fun to hit like a milestone number like that. But what I'm really the most proud of is just the community that we've created. Oh, we've just yes. had some incredible conversations and um, relationships of building and seeing people supporting each other and comments of posts and stuff like that. So it just feels really cool to have carved out this little corner of the internet. <laughs> yes. And so if people don't know, Vanessa and her partner are on the Instagram stories all the time answering questions and talking and it's so helpful. But before I get ahead of myself, (laughs) tell us a little bit about you and who you are. 
Yeah. So my name is Vanessa Marin. I am a licensed psychotherapist and I specialize in sex therapy. And um, I specialize in creating online courses too, because I know that sex is a really challenging topic for so many of us. I used to have the standard um, psychotherapy practice where I had people come into my office and talk about it. And I realized, you know, this is a pretty high bar for people to come in and talk about such intimate things. So I started creating online courses that would help give people those same kinds of trans transformations from the comfort and privacy of their own home. So that's really what I'm passionate about. And uh, I have a a business that I run with my husband, Xander, who he helps me out with all the content, kind of helps us have these conversations between, you know, partners talking about some of the challenging sex and relationship stuff that we all deal with. And uh, so it's really fun to get to talk about sex for a living with my husband. <laughs> yes, of course. You know, I think you talk about something so important there, and that is about making what we do accessible for people. Mm-hmm. And not just from a financial standpoint, that's one piece yeah. in terms of taking an online course. We know that we can jam pack it with tools and education that you can use, um, but also just the sense of what's available to you right now, mm-hmm. that for some people, they can't get into the therapy office. The kids are at home or the only time they have available is 8 p.m. and the sex therapist yeah. in town may not see clients at 8 p.m., right? So it makes it really difficult. And the other thing that I really like that you're doing right now, kind of watching all of the stuff that you're sharing is just where you're coming from in terms of the knowledge that it's important that when we're looking for a sex therapist, that we see someone that has training in the interventions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, sex therapy, it's its funny because, you know, almost all of us have sex. It's a part of our lives. And yet it's still such a tiny, tiny field. So a lot of people have never even heard of sex therapy. There isn't a sex therapist, you know, in their area. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, the accessibility issue is really challenging for a lot of people. And like I just mentioned, the, you know, going into an office and talking about this stuff probably for the first time ever in front of a stranger. So that's why I wanted to, you know, move online and be able to make courses much more accessible and to be able to, yeah, share my techniques and tricks and strategies with people all over the world. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So can I ask you to share a little bit of your own journey then? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I am an open book about that. Yeah, so, you know, my original interest in sex therapy, it really boiled down to my parents trying to have the talk with me. Oh, Uh, I think most of us, yeah, (laughs) most of us have awkward or non-existent stories about this. Vanessa had a book hidden in her bathroom. Oh, yes. My sister and I My sister got. (laughs) My sister got the book. (laughs) I got the, we're in the minivan driving home from grandma's house after family dinner, the awkward look into the rear view mirror. And um, (laughs) my my mom said, if you have any questions about sex, you can ask us. Um, And it was very clear. I think I was 11 or 12 years old at the time. And it was very clear to me that what she was actually saying was, please, for the love of God, do not ask us any questions. Um, And I just remember being very struck in that moment about, you know, I have a close relationship with both of my parents. We talk about everything. They're very careful to tell me, like, we're here for you. We can Uh talk about anything. And yet they're so embarrassed to talk about this. And I actually did have a lot of questions at that time. I was really curious. Um, I had just made a bet on the playground about how many holes a woman has down there. I bet Uh an entire dollar that there were two. (laughs) (laughs) I lost 
lost to a guy, <laughs> which was kind of ironic. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I just remember feeling like I do have questions and I do want right. to ask, why am I not allowed to? Yes. And I had no clue at the time that sex therapy was a, a career at all, but I just kept coming back to that moment over and over again. And then as I got older and started, you know, feeling in tune with my sexuality, started becoming sexually active and dating and, you know, exploring all of these things. I just kept coming back to that. I'm like, why is it so hard for us to talk about this stuff? Uh -huh. I really want to make it easier. Um, and I, yeah, I like to be really transparent with people that I've had my own fair share of struggles in the sex department. I think a lot of people here are like, oh, sex therapist, your sex life must be smoking hot. Um, but I have gone through a lot of things. I've struggled with my own orgasm. I've had mismatched sex drives in relationships. I've had higher sex drive than male, my male partners and been really self-conscious of that. Um, I've had plenty of boring sex with my husband, Sander, <laughs> you know, so I, Not I all sex has all to be exciting, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of boring sex. <laughs> I think the number um, is it, it's, do, do you remember what it is? I'm think is it 25% of sexual experiences? I'm going to mix them up. I don't want to mix them up. Um, 25% are not so great. Is that what it is? Do you remember? Oh, yeah, there is some research about that. Yeah, it's so hard to do research about sexuality. But yeah, yeah. definitely. I mean, a lot of the sex that people are having is is not fantastic. But but people yeah. often, it's, it's kind of like that myth there, right? Like I hear you talking about some mm -hmm. of these like beliefs around what it means to be sexual, what it means to yeah. have sex, to be a sexual being. And then also what sex looks like that there's just so many myths and beliefs out there around. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's funny, you know, we are bombarded with sex on a daily basis and yet there's also this complete lack of accurate information. So for most of us, the only sex education that we get is from TV, movies, and porn. And uh -huh. it's incredibly unrealistic. Um, I, I heard somebody say once, like, you know, trying to learn how to have sex from porn is like trying to learn how to drive from watching the Fast and the Furious. You know? <laughs> it's just like, is, it's meant to be entertainment. It's really over the top and produced. It's not how we actually have sex in real life. But yeah, so many of us come into our relationships and, and you know, have no information, a lot of misinformation and all these beliefs about, you know, things like sex should just happen naturally and spontaneously. Uh -huh. It should be perfect from the get-go. You should have that spark and that chemistry right. with somebody. You should sustain it perfectly throughout the course of your relationship. You shouldn't have to talk about, you know, what you want or what you need. Your partner should just guess it and do it magically. You know, so we just are really set up for failure, I think, when we start having sex because just all of these unrealistic expectations that we have. Yes, of course. These beliefs that somehow this just magically happens. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that spontaneous desire there and kind of thinking a lot of my listeners are well, actually, I don't know, but the the women who follow me on Instagram do tend to be in longer term relationships. But let's talk mm -hmm. about what that looks like at the beginning. And then what is kind of, I'm like air quoting normal, like what do we see later on in relationships? Yeah. So it's, it's definitely very common early in relationships for sex to feel pretty effortless and easy. I always like to be careful though and say, you know, a lot of people think that if it's the right fit, you'll have that instant chemistry. And that's not uh, true for every couple. Yeah. A lot of couples, it's more of like a slow burn or a gradual build into creating uh -huh. that chemistry. 
Um, but sex does, you know, for most people tend to feel a lot easier. And so as time goes on, our relationship becomes more committed, more long-term. A lot of people will say, it just feels like it takes so much more effort now. I don't have the energy. I don't feel that desire like I used to. And so a lot of people will get scared and think, oh, we're, maybe we're not compatible. Maybe we're not the right fit for each other. We should end this relationship. But what I think is really interesting is that if we really go back and look at those early stages in a relationship, there actually was a lot more effort involved than I think we realize. Mm. So like, I think about, you know, getting ready for some of my first dates with my husband, Xander, like that was an hours long process of like, I'll go to the gym, I'll take a shower, I'll try on 10 different outfits. I'll be putting my favorite music on and dancing around, getting myself all hyped up. I'm thinking about this date for days in advance and like building up this anticipation. Right. So it feels fun and effortless. But if we really think about it, it's like, no, I put an incredible amount of effort into that. And then, you know, kind of contrast that with, he tells me, hey, we've got a date night this weekend. I'm like, okay, well, you know, I'll show up in the dining room at seven (laughs) o'clock and I'm guessing you're going to order dinner. You know, so it's like, of course, of course, sex feels different in these later stages because we haven't, we're not putting in that same amount of effort that we used to. But I think it's very possible for us to get that energy back of, you know, yeah, I want to get myself excited for a date night again. I want to get myself jazzed up for it and, you know, feeling and looking and, and, you know, being my best for my partner. Yeah, absolutely. Support for today's episode comes from ZocDoc. We all know there are things in life we have to compromise on, like the right way to load a dishwasher or whether those socks are going to stay on the floor for a week. Okay, in all seriousness, but when it comes to your mental health, there is no compromise. So we don't need to go back to that one therapist or one physician who didn't align with what we need just because they're available right now. We don't need to compromise on the care we need for our overall wellness. Instead, this is where ZocDoc comes in. This is a place where you can find and book hundreds of types of doctors, including therapists, psychologists, and psychiatrists. And you can find someone who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your well-being. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of patient-reviewed in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. You can search by location, availability, and insurance. Go to ZocDoc.com I-N-Y-S and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. If I needed this app, this is one that I would be going to. That's zocdoccom slash I-N-Y-S and get the care that you need today. Support for today's episode comes from Loop Earplugs. For so long after having children, I kept wondering why I was easily overwhelmed and felt like an angry mom. The noise from the kids, the dog barking, and the sounds around me from everyday life. But I now understand that I'm not an angry mom and instead my nervous system gets overwhelmed and overstimulated, which is why I've been turning more and more to my loop earplugs to help me stay more regulated and engaged with the family. I'm using Loop Engage to help dampen the sound around me. And these Loop earplugs allow me to still be with every beat and conversation. I still hear Greg. I can still hear the kids. I love that they are so comfortable and they come with eight silicone ear tips to ensure the right fit for you. 
The best part for me is that I take them everywhere with me. They are proving the test of time and not to mention they're stylish in my ears. Plus, we love the kids versions, which we've been able to take to the movies for our kids. I'm so excited that Loop Earplugs is offering you, my community, a discount so that you too can tackle that overstimulation while still being engaged with the activities and people you love. Visit loopearplugs.com and use my code loop times Dr. Tracy for 10% off your order. That's L-O-O-P-X-D-R-T-R-A-C-Y for 10% off your order. Support for today's episode comes from Cozy Earth. You know I am all about caring for ourselves, especially in these busy years with our young kids. We are pulled in so many directions, but I think it's so important for us to find ways to nurture ourselves that require no additional time from us. I should probably let you in on one of my favorite things to do to look after me, and that is to get a good night's sleep on amazing sheets. I am beyond thrilled to bring you Cozy Earth's luxurious bedding products with an exclusive Mother's Day offer just for my listeners. We've got a code. It's SHRINK, S-H-R-I-N-K, for 35% off at CozyEarth.com. Now, I didn't believe it until I tried them, but I firmly stand by my sleep improving with the temperature regulating technology, which adapts to your body's needs. For the past year, I have not slept on any other brand of sheets. Cozy Earth uses the very best fabrics, materials, and wares, offering superior softness for you to sink into at the end of those long days. I look forward to getting into bed, and we've been loving the sheets for over a year and their sleepwear is so unbelievably soft and it's made with such great quality. But the best part is that if you're worried about commitment, enjoy a 100 night sleep trial and a 10 year warranty on all of your purchases. Head over to CozyEarth.com and use promo code SHRINK for an exclusive 35% off and give the luxury she deserves with Cozy Earth. You know, it's just kind of thinking of, it's so funny how you describe that. Like, yeah, we put so much energy and effort into that. Mm-hmm. Don't even think about that. And then we wonder later on, well, why are we not having sex? Why are we not intimate? Everything else is taking priority. Everything is yeah. demanding from you. Everything has a deadline. And then we just keep pushing off sex. Exactly. I mean, yeah, if we approach sex the way that we do, you know, most of us in long-term relationships, if we transplanted that into the early stage of a relationship, like there would not be any spark or magical chemistry and be like, no, I can't go on a date. You know, I've got to do the shopping and the laundry and you know all this stuff. So again, it's, yeah, I, I really think that it's possible for us to recapture some of that magic and, you know, enjoy putting an effort in again. There definitely is something special and magical about falling in love with someone for the first time. Like we can't uh-huh. ever fully replicate that, but I really think we can bring back so much of that energy. Right, right. Thinking about some of the key things in a relationship, right? Like surprises and mm-hmm. joy and having fun together and laughing. Mm-hmm. And that helps to build that intimacy. Yeah, I, I think especially, you know, with quality time together, a lot of couples, we end up spending an okay amount of time together, but it doesn't feel very quality. You know, like we're watching mm-hmm. Netflix while we're both on our phones looking at, you know, at yes. separate stuff at the same time. <laughs> I know so many can relate to that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Such a relatable <laughs> experience. <laughs> um, I think there was there was a study a while back that found that the average couple 
has only in an entire week, only 35 minutes of face-to-face communication with each other. And the majority of that was about logistical stuff. Like who's picking up the groceries, who's, you know, doing the laundry. So it just, you know, recently. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, how are we supposed to feel passion and chemistry with somebody if we're not even giving them any attention? Yeah. Uh, The devices is such a common thing that I hear from my members in my program. And it's even in our own relationship, you know, if I'm kind of in that really angry place where I'm not feeling connected with my partner, I Mm -hmm. will often say this all started in 2009 when you got the iPad and it came (laughs) with us, (laughs) right? Because like how different our connection started to change around that time. We are reaching the one-year mark of this pandemic, and I have heard from so many of you. You are struggling in your relationship, whether it's about reconnecting after a new baby joined the family, juggling the multiple demands this year has brought, like stay-at-home orders while also working and caring for your children full-time, or losing your job and the significant changes in your relationship. This past year has been hard. Maybe you've been thinking about couples therapy to help your relationship, but your partner keeps pushing it off, or the wait lists are too long, or you just want to learn to strengthen your relationship going into the second year of this pandemic. My online program, Be Connected, helps empower women to go from disconnected and overwhelmed in their relationship to being able to share their feelings and needs, let go of resentment, and improve their intimacy. You can find out more by going to beconnected.drtracyd.com, or of course, all of my links are in the bio of my Instagram page. I am certain that you will find something in Be Connected to help you elevate your relationship. Devices have made such a big impact on relationships. And I think it's really challenging because a lot of us, we know that I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know I shouldn't be on my phone as much, but there's a way that we all kind of write off our own behavior and we can really justify in every little instance, you know, of our own bad behavior. Like I think I've had so many times with Xander where, you know, we'll be watching a show on, you know, on Netflix and he pulls his phone out. And I'm like, oh, how annoying. He's looking at his phone, sort of watching the show with me. And then I'll pull my phone out, you know, <laughs> and I can justify it to myself. of, Oh, I just have to look up something really quick, but I'm going to put it away right afterwards. Or, you know, oh, I got to just look at that email. Right. Um, but yeah, we, we just kind of write it off very easily instead of really sitting with it and recognizing like, what kind of impact is my usage truly having on my relationship? And am I willing to take steps to do it a little differently? I I was talking with my members recently about this and how the sense of doing that is actually quite uncomfortable, right? So we think Mm -hmm. about, if if you think about dating early on, that was uncomfortable, but exciting. Mm -hmm. And then now kind of being, or, you know, maybe feeling more like roommates or, you know, we're just comfortable yeah. having to do something different is actually you stepping into uncomfortable yeah, because you don't really know what it's going to look like or, yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's a really similar kind of dynamic of, you know, we're doing the same sorts of things, but we just put a totally different meaning on it. Like, yeah, in the early stages of a relationship, 
you know, we are willing to really push ourselves outside of our comfort zones and do things that are, we wouldn't normally do because we're trying to be our best selves, put our best self, put our best foot forward, you know, show our partner, like, I'm a cool person, I'm adaptable and I'm willing to do stuff. Um, And then we can get really set in our ways and stuck in our comfort zones as, you know, as time goes on in a relationship. And it can feel a lot harder to push ourselves out of that comfort zone, even though we have had that experience of like, ah, this was really fun. This mm-hmm. can be really fun. You know, mm-hmm. so it's not that stepping out of your comfort zone is inherently terrible. It's just, we look at it in a different way as time goes on. Yes, that's right. And one of the things that I think about, even in terms of sex and intimacy, is that how couples get into the same routine, plus or minus mm-hmm. a little bit, that we do the same thing over and over again. So, oh, yeah. you know, and I see it with the couples in my office when we're working on, on their intimacy. Okay. How does it start? Okay. So you're kissing for five minutes and then, okay. And then she does this and then he does that. And then you do mm-hmm. a little bit of this. Okay. And then you have intercourse. Oh yeah. <laughs> one or two people orgasm and then that's it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, it's so funny. You know, I think we, a lot of us, are really bored with the same routine. And a lot of you, I'm sure you've had this experience, like couples can script it out exactly for you, right? Of like, (laughs) it's about two to three minutes of making out. And then he grabs my boob for like five to 10 seconds. And we take our clothes. Like they know exactly what's coming each and every step. And it's just so hard to get excited about sex when it's like that. Um, It's just, you know, a lot of times people tell me like, well, how do I have a higher sex drive? How do I have a higher sex drive? And I'll ask them to tell me about the kind of sex that they're having. And I think so often we don't make the connection between our sex drive and the quality of the sex that we're having. And, but it's, you know, like you have to have sex that is craveable, that is mm-hmm. worth desiring if you want right. to feel desire for it. And most of us are just, we're so set in this rut, in this routine of what we do. And yet at the same time, that fear of stepping out of the comfort zone that you just mentioned comes up. You know, a lot of us are, we've all heard the advice to try new things in the bedroom and, you know, mix it up. But it's sort of that like, oh, the devil I know is a little bit better than the devil I don't. Like, what if I, what if we were to try this position and like, I didn't like it or my stomach pooched out weird in it or I farted, you know, it's like we just get really nervous. And so we resign ourselves to having this very lackluster sex that then leads to very lackluster desire. Oh yeah. You're, you're hitting on a few things. So like, I'm trying to, I'm gonna, like, try to like ping to like some of these, but like the, the first thing that stands out there is, um, body confidence, like mm-hmm. how we feel about our bodies and how that oh, impacts yeah. what yeah. we do in the bedroom and how we show up. Yeah. This is a huge one for so many people that, you know, we're just, and there's so much wrapped up into it too. You know, I'll speak to women in particular, like, you know, we are, socialized our entire lives to hate our bodies, you Uh, know, and in particular to hate our genitals, that they, they look weird and they're smelly and they taste bad and, you know, they smell bad, all this stuff. So it's really a lifelong battle that all of us are waging. And of course, yeah, when you get naked with another person and everything's on display, all of those confidence issues are going to come bubbling up to the surface. Yeah, I think I, I can't remember how old I was, but 
it must have been like watching Tyra Banks on her talk show or something. And she was like, <laughs> all of the women need to get a mirror and take a mirror and look at yourselves and get to know what parts of your body look like and accept them and like them and get familiar with them. Mm. And, and everything in our society tells us not to do that. Oh, you've, yeah. just, you've just hit on so many messages there. What, what would you say to someone who's struggling with that piece around their body? Such a big topic. Oh, there are so many, so many things. But I think, you know, one of it, one piece is recognizing the cultural component. Um, I think it's really interesting to see if we can like get fired up about how messed up is this, that there are literally billion dollar industries Uh dedicated to making us women feel terrible about our bodies. Right. Um, And sometimes, you know, if if we can't get fired up for ourselves, thinking about like women as a collective or even the younger generation of women, maybe you have a daughter and you think like, you know, this is like, there's some crazy statistic I just saw the other day, something like 40% of eight year olds are on a diet, you know, like it's just, it's unbelievably messed up. So can we get kind of fired up and recognize this is awful. This is BS. None of us should be having to deal with this. Um, And I also kind of like to think about, you know, all of the energy and attention that we spend hating our bodies. What could our lives look like if we took even half of that energy and could devote it to something that we love, something that we're passionate about, something we create, something we add to the world? I mean, I think I don't want to get too carried away here, but I think, you know, a lot of this body hatred stuff is designed to keep us women small and powerless. Uh-huh. So maybe we get a little fired up about that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and absolutely. Then- <laughs> and, we, and we should though, right? Because that can help lead us to change if, if not for other things for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And then on a, you know, kind of a more like day to day level, I think one thing that's really interesting is, is to notice how differently we see our own bodies from how other people see our bodies and in particular Uh our partners. Um, So we just did Uh this series on Instagram a couple of weeks ago where we were asking people to share like, you know, what is it that you see about your partner's body? Or what are things that she has called out about her body that you don't see? And we got so many beautiful messages from um, male partners of, you know, who are partners of women just saying like, I literally do not see the things that she's talking about. Um, and Xander and I talked about this example of, um, of cellulite. You know, I was really self-conscious of seeing, you know, having cellulite in a certain angle and that he could see it. And he was laughing on the story and saying, I still do not know what cellulite is. Like, <laughs> I don't even understand what this thing is. So <laughs> just being able to recognize, like, we really are our own worst critics and the things that, the imperfections that we think oh. that we see Nobody else sees them. One of the most powerful things for my own uh, body view is looking at my daughter. She's three and a half and she has none of these messages right now about how her body functions or what it does or what it looks like when she sits down or the difference between morning to night, you know, when her belly is full at the end of the day and and she's fed and it's beautiful. And I look at that and I'm like, wow, like how robbed we, I know that could be like a whole other conversation, (laughs) but, but I do think it's important because our identity is a huge part of how we can show up with our partner in our most vulnerable space, which is sex and orgasms and nakedness. 
Yeah. I mean, I think it, children are just have the most beautiful relationships with their bodies. Like there's just a pure joy and a delight. And it's, it's such a reminder to us that we are not like born being ashamed of our bodies Mm -hmm. or hating our bodies. We are taught to be that way. Yeah. But we can really look at kids for inspiration of, can we recapture that some of that energy of like just delighting in my body and like, look at all the cool things that it does, Absolutely. all the ways that it carries me, all the different sensations that I can feel in different parts of it. What all the different, you know, skin textures and bones and lumps <laughs> and bumps and, you know, all kinds of stuff, like what it feels like. Um, so for me, that's been a really powerful way to, to, you know, reconnect with my own body is thinking more in, in terms of like, what is it capable of? What is it do for me? What is it like to play in my uh-huh. body rather than, you know, oh, do I have a little extra arm jiggle right. or I'm a little, you know, back fat roll? Yeah. Yeah. But I, and I love using that, that for myself of what does my body, what has my body done for me? Like, what does it do mm-hmm. for me each day to get me to even sit here and sit with you in that context? Exactly. Okay. So I once had someone say to me, um, your desire builds after your last orgasm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another way that I like to say that is like after you've, the moment that you finish having sex, that's when foreplay for the next time yes. starts. Yes. <laughs> yes. I love that. Okay. Tell us more about that. Cause I think sometimes what happens for women particularly is they wonder why do I not want to have sex? Why don't I want to have sex? What's, what's wrong with me? I should want to have it. I should be having it this many times. My partner wants it, but I don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So sex drive is, is such an interesting topic. It's incredibly nuanced because there are so many different factors in our life that feed into our sex drive. So I, I created a model called the five foundations model to name like the five major factors that um, play into our sex drive. And I think the, you know, the problem that most of us make is we think of sex drive as something that just kind of like exists like our shoe size you know it's just my shoe size I'm a five and that just is you know what it is Um, and we don't recognize that pretty much everything in our life contributes to or detracts from our Uh sex drive and so you know when I'm working with women or or men, you know, on increasing their sex drive, we have to look at, you know, what are the things that contribute or detract from it? And so I like to talk about our sex drive as having like a drive mode. These are the things that actively get us going, contribute to that sense of desire and a reverse mode, which the things that get in the way, they actively block us from feeling that desire. And I think that if we can take a look at our lives with that sense of curiosity and trying to gather that information rather than just staying stuck in this place of, oh, I have no sex drive. I must be broken. Something's wrong with me. Everybody's having more sex than I am. It just mm-hmm. opens up a whole world of possibilities. So I really like that idea of, you know, foreplay starting like the instant that you stop having sex right. because it gives you that framework to think about, okay, well, what do, what is it that I need to keep that um, like a simmer going with my partner, a low level of desire going yeah. all the time? Is it that I need touch? I need them to speak kindly to me. I need them to take care of things around the house without being asked. I need us oh. to have time together where we're, you know, having deep conversations or away from the kids. Um, it just, yeah, it really kind of opens up that creativity of, ah, yeah, these are the things that get me going. These are the things that right. let me stay connected to my partner. Yeah, I'm thinking about Besson's model of desire for women and how she draws that circular model rather than it being a straight line, how mm-hmm. Masters and Johnson talked about it. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. the 
what is it? It's desire, arousal, orgasm, refractory, mm-hmm. resolution, yeah. right? The yeah. straight line that women go from A, B, C, D, mm-hmm. men go A, B, C, D. But then for women, it's this, it's this circle. Mm-hmm. It's a cycle. And that, that desire actually comes after the positive sexual experience. And mm-hmm. what builds all of that is the sense of, okay, how's our emotional intimacy, yeah. right? Like, oh, yeah. are, are we sharing emotions and, and connecting on things that are happening inside of us? Like my thoughts and feelings and does, mm-hmm. you know, opinions about something and then the physical piece. And then also is that laundry basket still sitting in the middle of the room, even yep. though I asked you three <laughs> times to not leave it there because I'm tripping on it and mm-hmm. it makes me feel like I'm insignificant when you don't listen. Right. Mm-hmm. Like those are all the <laughs> exactly. things. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's such a, a much better way of looking at it. Um, and I think, yeah, there, there's so many different things to say about this. So one thing is that some people need to feel connected in order to have sex. And some people need to have sex in order to feel connected. I'm and so glad often, you said that. Yeah. <laughs> I posted it on Instagram a while back, back in the summer. Oh. <laughs> and then I, I got a little bit of a, a kerfluffle from it. <laughs> really? Oh, I didn't see it. What yeah, did so say, say? say it again. Say it again. Some people need to have sex in order to feel connected. And some people need to feel connected in order to have sex. I, I put specific genders attached to it. And that, mm-hmm. that's that's where, but what research shows us though is. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's completely true. And I think that the reason for it though is because of socialization. Yes. So, you know, as women, we are socialized to, you know, like we're given this permission to be emotional creatures for better or for worse. Um, you know, that we are able to be more expressive about our emotions, more in tune with them, communicate with others about them. Whereas men are socialized to believe that they're not supposed to have emotions and, you know, right. they're supposed to be tough guys. They're not supposed to be pussies. And I, I've had some really interesting conversations conversations about this with Xander because he was we both were raised by very feminist parents Mm -hmm. um so he's not an alpha male he has no desire to be that way he doesn't want to live up to these you know standard gender stereotypes but he said you know I still feel that pressure internally I can tell you you know I want to be comfortable with my emotions I want to talk about it and yet I still feel that that internal pressure not to and so I think men are taught that the only way, the only socially permissible way for them to connect with another person, with a woman in particular, is through sex. Uh So a lot of men, you know, that's, I think we, it's really easy for us to write men off as, oh, they're just horny. They want sex wherever and whenever and whatever, they'll do whatever they can to get it. And so a lot of times I tell women, you know, when your partner is trying to initiate sex with you and you're going to that place of, oh, how could he be horny right now? How could he want this right now? Imagine instead that what he was saying to you is, I want to be close to you right now. Uh-huh. I want to feel connected to you right now. Uh-huh. That would have a, a totally different, you know, feel for us. So, uh, yeah, I can get why some people might have been upset about the, you know, the gendered aspect of it. But it that's what we were socialized. That's what we see. Right? That's, what, that's what we see. It's not every person's situation. But, yeah, yeah, it, is, yeah. it is what we see. And, mm-hmm. and so then, so just flip that. So for women then, they have sex to feel connected. Or sorry. Women, I think, want to feel connected before having sex. Yes. Right. Yeah. I think they want to feel that, you know, feel that closeness and that intimacy. And that's what unlocks like, ah, I want to go even deeper. And so oftentimes, you know, in relationships, there's usually one person wants to feel connected in order to have sex. The other one wants to have sex in order to feel connected. So it can feel like they're kind of at this, you know, headlocked with each other. Like, well, I want my thing first. (laughs) And I think that what it comes down to is recognizing like 
we both want both things. Right. We've just been taught to go about it in different ways. That is such a tricky one, that gridlock piece, because Mm -hmm. I I see couples, they've just been entrenched in it. Mm -hmm. No, you need to meet me over here. And like, I'm using my hands that it's like, you meet me on my side of the bridge. Oh no, Mm -hmm. you meet me on my side of the bridge. I'm not coming over. And you know, what do you do when you see a couple or an individual really gridlocked in that? I mean, I, I like to talk about the socialization piece because I think it starts to make sense for a lot of people. And, and you know, especially for women hearing that, like, yeah, imagine that that's what he's saying. Like, I want to uh-huh. feel connected to you. Uh-huh. I, I see a lot of women, it's like a light bulb goes off of, oh, oh, right. okay. You know, I, I get this. Um, and then I like to talk to them about, you know, what do you each need in order to feel open to being intimate with each other? Like what kinds of contexts and situations? And, and that way they can kind of look at it as a team. Like, okay, let's work together to create this environment for both of us to feel desire rather than feeling like, you know, yeah, you're, you're like, you come I'm to right. me. I don't want to come yeah. to you. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's always going to be some amount of gridlock. It's, I think that's inevitable in every relationship. Uh-huh. So I'm not saying it's ever going to get to a place of feeling perfect. And I think there are sometimes where we do, you know, push ourselves a little bit to meet our partner. And sometimes they push uh, themselves a little bit to meet us. But I think if you're able to kind of take that teamwork approach to it, of like, okay, what do we both need? What makes both of us, you know, feel good about connecting more with each other? Mm-hmm. Yes. And I love asking people, you know, what's important to you? You don't get to control what the other person does. Mm -hmm. So how do you want to show up in your relationship so that when you put your head on the pillow at the end of the day, can you say that you showed up authentically to yourself and to what felt good for you? And if having a healthy and connected relationship is what really matters to you, what Mm -hmm. are the small steps you're taking each day? It's not big magical steps to cross over the bridge to meet your partner. It's that like, what am I going to start doing in small actions towards them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so much of this is is us taking care of ourselves too. And I think one of the traps that we fall into with sex is we think of it as something that happens, you know, between us and another person. Mm. But we have to remember, like, we get to have a relationship with our own sexuality too. You know, we are mm. not just sexual beings in the context of another person. So I think some of it is also looking at, yeah, what do I need to do to take care of myself, to help myself feel safe around sex, to help myself feel excited about it or looking forward to it? What are Uh ways that I connect with my own body and understand what I like and what I need? Um, So yeah, in the exact same way that you're saying that we get to feel good about what it is that we're bringing into a relationship. How might some, you know, I'm just thinking, so here are the women who are listening and maybe feeling like, okay, so I haven't really shared what I want and need in my relationship. It's something that I do need to do. How can they start that conversation with their partner around sex and intimacy? Mm-hmm. Okay. So my favorite practical suggestion for this is to follow our Instagram account because mm-hmm. Zana and I, you know, we're showing up in stories every day. We're talking about I love dynamics. what you guys have to share. Thank you. We're having a lot of fun with it. <laughs> but um, yeah, so, you know, we're we're talking about different topics every day and the people who follow us are, are saying, you know, this is just so useful in initiating a conversation with my partner because uh-huh. I can just show them my phone and say, look at what they're talking about today. Right. Or they're watching it on their account and they say, hey, look at what they talked about. So I think, you know, a lot of us feel really nervous about initiating conversations like that. So what we're really trying to do is make this so much easier for people about, hey, okay, 
Today we're talking about mismatched sex drives. Here's some things that you could ask your partner. Here's something that you could try out. So it just, you know, it makes it feel a little bit easier to initiate that conversation. Um, I also think sometimes, you know, a lot of people get really embarrassed or they feel awkward about having these kinds of conversations with their partner. And I say like, lean into the awkwardness. Uh. Like I am not afraid to be awkward. (laughs) And I think it can be really interesting to, to say to your partner, you know, isn't it interesting that we have been together for 10 years or 15 years or 20 years and we're so close to each other. We love each other so much. And yet we really haven't had a conversation about our sex life. Like, uh-huh. I just, I'm sitting with how weird that feels and like how funny that is or saying, you know, it could be something like, I know you so well. And yet I am so afraid to tell you, I want you to touch my boobs or I want you to spank my ass or something like that. It's like, we can just kind of make fun of ourselves a little bit right. and use that kind of like, it's not funny line. So I, I think just acknowledging, you know, that vulnerability, uh-huh. that discomfort, that awkwardness, rather than, you know, we don't, don't have to wait to feel perfectly confident or like, you know, I'm ready to talk about sex and here goes everything, you know, like we can, <laughs> we can acknowledge I, I am not, we're not nearly as good as this as I had hoped I would be. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, it's interesting when these conversations come up, I like to remind partners, this is not about you and your worthiness. Mm-hmm. That, you know, if someone were to say, I want you to smack my ass, it's, it doesn't mean everything you've been doing up until this point is wrong, exactly. right? It doesn't mean that you're <laughs> bad. It doesn't mean that mm-hmm. you're not good enough for me. It means I'm a separate self from you and I desire something and I'm allowed to ask for it. Maybe you don't want to do it and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But it, it's not, it's not personal. There's no yeah. need to be defensive or, or to take it in some kind of shame-based way, which mm-hmm. is often the struggle where I see couples at in my office. I mean, they're, they come, the couples in my office will often come for sex therapy, but really that's the band-aid covering yeah. the deeper wounds of we don't emotionally connect anymore. Like sex mm-hmm. is like finally the thing that's gone. And they're like, okay, now we're coming when there was all of this other stuff beforehand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's such a huge fear that comes up for people. And, you know, sometimes I get these messages on Instagram that just make me want to cry about people talking about, you know, I hate when my, like my husband rubs my clitoris so hard, it causes me pain the next day, but I don't oh. want to say anything to him because I don't want to hurt his feelings. And I think, you know, it, it does. Which is again, can. that like, that's, uh, that's the emotional fusion, right? Yeah, like yeah. that somehow, like if I have a feeling about something, I'm going to hurt you mm-hmm. when, yeah, your partner's allowed to be upset by feedback, but you're not responsible for that. Exactly. Because oh yeah. <laughs> another partner could come along and, and this is, I bump up against this a lot in, with the women in my community because they, they say, well, I don't want to hurt their feelings. I don't want to cause a fight. I don't want to. Right. But it's not that we're causing a fight. Your partner's allowed yeah. to have that feelings. But if we think there could be someone else not saying you need to leave your relationship to find this, but someone else might say, oh gosh, you didn't tell me that. It mm-hmm. burns your clitoris. I would like to change that. And they don't have that hurt feeling, right? That's the fusion yeah, between partners yeah. that gets us into trouble, particularly around sex. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad to hear you talking about this because I've been trying to talk about the responsibility piece. And it's a really hard thing to wrap your head around when That's you haven't gone to grad school for psychology. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it's just so important for us to recognize. Well, there are a lot of pieces of it. So one is 
we can learn how to give feedback in a gentle way. I think a lot of people yeah. hear feedback and they think like, oh, what's going to come out of my mouth is you're terrible. You suck at this. I hate having yeah. sex with you. Fix it. And yeah. that's not why the way can't you get it right. Feedback. It's like, yeah. you know, how hard is it? <laughs> we can be a lot gentler with it. Yes. Another piece is that our partners genuinely want to know what brings us pleasure. Mm. Like, your partner loves you and cares about you and they want to know how to help you have a good experience. Uh So I think we often forget that. And it's, you know, it's such an important reminder. And then the third piece of it is, yeah, it might bring up a momentary, like, oh shoot, you know, I wasn't doing the right thing. Your partner might feel a little uncomfortable, a little embarrassed, but that's okay. They're an adult. They can sit with a little moment of feeling yes. uncomfortable or embarrassed. Right. Um, and you can sit with that too. Um, but oh, I love that you said that. And yeah. you can sit with that too, right? Uh-huh. That it's okay for you to sit in the discomfort of mm-hmm. your partner feeling uncomfortable. And, and it's kind of like with our kids too, you know, like if your child's uncomfortable, they want chocolate at 7.30 PM uh-huh. and you don't <laughs> give them chocolate at the time, you're all uncomfortable because they're yeah. upset. It's, it's the same thing, right? We don't have to fix our partner's feelings. Exactly. We can be present with them. We can validate exactly. and be emotionally responsive to it. And it's so funny too, because that's what we want from our partners too. So like the classic example that comes up is around, you know, women will always say like, I try to talk to my partner about my day and he just instantly goes into trying to fix it mode. And I hate that. I don't want your advice. I don't want you to fix it. I just want you to listen. Uh So here's an opportunity for us to do that same thing too. Can we just sit with our partner's emotions? Again, they're not going to be as intense as it might feel like in your head Uh because you're not saying that like you suck your terrible thing but just sitting with any sort of you know minor or momentary discomfort that might come up can we just sit with that and be present Uh with that rather than jumping into problem solving mode for them right Mm -hmm. yeah I'm thinking about also to the in the moment feedback right that you don't need to sit there and suffer through something that doesn't feel good We can give feedback in the moment. There's quite a difference between being like, stop doing that, right? In a Mm -hmm. safe relationship. But to the other piece of, I really want you to touch me like this. Or I want more of that. I want less of that. That that kind of I want and I need and oh, that feels Mm -hmm. good versus don't. And the the aggressive ways of communicating. Yeah, I think a lot of people... Yeah, we think that we need to say like, don't stop, that's bad. Um, but yeah. I think it's it's much more helpful and just, it can be really sexy in the moment to say like, oh, when you touch me really softly like that, I love that. Or go back right. to where you were touching me before, that was really good. So a lot of times there are ways to give that feedback that not only are not cruel, but actually can feel very sexy and uh-huh. you know, sensual and intimate in the moment. And like your partner, I mean, who wouldn't love hearing like, oh, I love when you touch me that, you know, all really slow like that. You're like, oh, uh-huh. I did a good job, right? Yes, of course. So, <laughs> there are definitely yeah. Yeah, softer ways to frame that feedback. I'm thinking about um, a little bit of what we talked about and be connected, but just in the sense of like how important that feedback is in heterosexual relationships when we're giving it to our male partner around clitoral stimulation Uh and just the, you know, the organ difference, the size difference of a penis and the clitoris, Mm -hmm. but it's like, you know, I'm, I'm using my finger, my hands to show size <laughs> difference, but it's like, you know, you, you move too much and you've lost the stimulation. Yeah. 
And, and for many men who don't, you know, their organ is different. Their anatomy is different. Mm -hmm. They don't know that and how power, like it's kind of that, like sitting in, in the empowerment of, you know, you can help to teach your partner that you can help empower them using your own empowerment. Yeah. I mean, I really like to say, you know, there's no such thing as being universally good in bed. Like mm-hmm. we are all so different. Our tastes and our you know desires and likes and dislikes are so different that there, there just is no universal skill set. So oh. every partner that we have, there's going to be some amount of, you know, teaching them. And this goes back to these, you know, bad beliefs about sex that we've all been taught to have. That, you oh, just well, come it's, together. It's really right. Like, he, you know, he should just know what I want and just do it. <laughs> Which is exactly uh, yeah, the, what our yeah. media teaches us though, right? I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, I, it's like a side topic <laughs> of Bridgerton. <laughs> I saw you did a YouTube review. I haven't gotten to watch it yet, but again, I mean that sex just happens and yeah. it's completely magical and off the chart. And yep. Yeah. But we, yeah, we, we have to be able to, to teach our partners, you know, how our body works and what we like. Yeah. And, and also that this can be an exploration for both people. I think another problem spot that a lot of women get into is thinking like, Oh, I have to hand over to my partner, this like detailed, you know, list of exactly what to do and exactly what I like. And this is guaranteed to get me off. And, you know, and the reality is like, you're not going to know everything about yourself. You can't just deliver that to your partner. It's like being able to share that feedback in the moment. Um, But the, yeah, the clitoris example is such a a good one because I think pretty much every woman has had this experience of your partner going like too intensely, too fast, too hard, or the classic, like the woman says like, don't stop, don't stop. And he starts, you know, going really fast. Starts to ramp up. And yeah, yeah, <laughs> so. and then your partner's excitement takes over, mm-hmm. which exactly. isn't your own and matching you, right? Because that is yeah. that constant back and forth feedback yeah. Yeah. Uh, around intimacy, right? Around having an orgasm and being sexual together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are some factors to great sex? Like if if we were to think about what should we be doing just to help set us up for great sex? Oh yeah. So I think a big one is a sense of exploration of recognizing, just like I was saying a minute ago, it's not like we have to have this perfect itemized list of everything that I like that's guaranteed to make me orgasm. I think approaching sex with this sense of playfulness, of curiosity, what would it be like if we tried this? What if we tried this? You know, I think that is such a great quality um, to, you know, to embody in your sex life. Communication is another huge one. I truly believe that you cannot have a great sex life unless you have active and ongoing open communication about it. And I think communication can be a very sexy addition too. It doesn't have to be this robotic, like, you know, here's what to do to me kind of thing. Um, It can be a very, very sexy part of it. Um, I think our ability to be present in the moment and actually experience sex rather than just going through the motions Oh, such a huge piece. I'm yeah. so glad you're mentioning that one, just in the sense of how much spectatoring we do, how like we're mm-hmm. outside of our bodies and watching. Oh, and, yeah. and as you mentioned already with our, you know, oh, how does my skin look there? Do I have a role? And you're, you're spectating, mm-hmm. you're outside watching and judging. And how then do you actually feel into your, what, like what feels good? Yeah. 
this is such a huge challenge for so many people is, is we're just judging ourselves the entire time or we're thinking about our to-do list or when's uh-huh. this going to be over, you know, all that. And so I think it, it just speaks to a lot of us have a hard time being in our bodies in general, like outside of the bedroom too. Uh-huh. We're really used to being all up in our heads. And so I think it's this, it's a really beautiful invitation for all of us to learn how to connect with our bodies and actually inhabit our bodies. Uh-huh. And sex is a great time to, you know, to experience that. But so, you know, one practical thing that I like to do is to have people kind of check in with different parts of their bodies during sex and see like, what am I feeling in my calf? right now. And it can be easier to start with like non-sexual parts of your body (laughs) where Uh you're like, oh, okay. My calf, it's touching the bed. You know, the nice soft blanket there. I'm actually tensing my muscles a little bit because of the position that I'm in, but okay. So, you know, you don't have this pressure of, oh, I'm thinking about my clitoris and I'm just wildly orgasmic right now. It's like, it's just your calf, but it's a good practice at, at, you know, tuning into your body and seeing like, what does it really feel like to be in my body? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, that just getting present with different parts and then not having that pressure um, to orgasm or to perform Mm -hmm. in some way. I I always like to say like pressure, when it comes to sex, pressure is like having a bag of bricks on your back. Mm -hmm. You can't have sex in that condition. It's not possible to (laughs) enjoy and to like go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I like to say pressure is the antithesis of pleasure. It's just, we can't be feeling both of those things at the same time. Um, And so, yeah, I think really being able to kind of ease off on ourselves and recognize, you know, we, we all have these ideas, these sexual scripts in our head of what's supposed to play out, what sex is supposed to look like. And if we really look at those scripts, they're very limiting and they don't feel particularly exciting. So it's an opportunity for all of us to kind of rewrite the script and see, well, what do I actually want to experience? What do I actually want to feel? Yeah. And and tuning into that instead of kind of what, what are other people doing? What Uh should I be doing? Which kind of Uh leads this to the question. And personally, as a sex therapist, I don't go to this question, but I know lots of people like to know it and do tend to ask it. How much? How much sex should we be having? What's normal? <laughs> what sex are people having? Tell us, Vanessa. Yes, I know. We have the same views on this question. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, okay, so I hate this question, but. Yes, on the right. I also have. <laughs> I hate this question. <laughs> I have to ask. <laughs> I also have a lot of compassion for why people ask this question because I think sex can feel so overwhelming and intimidating and complex that a lot of us feel the pressure of like, just give me something narrow and specific to focus on. And frequency feels like that thing. Like, oh, if I could just have sex two times a week, then everything is good. We're normal. We're okay. (laughs) So I get, you know, why people want to know this. Um, And I think there's also just kind of like some natural curiosity about it too. Uh But I, I'm sure you've had this experience too. Like I really and truly believe that there is no magic number that works for every couple. Like I have worked with couples who had sex multiple times a day and were miserable and said, we never Uh have sex. It's terrible. We're so disconnected. And I've had sex, I've had sex. No, no, I've not had sex with any clients. <laughs> I've worked with couples who have had sex <laughs> a few times a year and felt happy and in love and satisfied. And those times that they did have sex were beautiful and intimate okay. and connecting. Okay. So I really don't think there is a magic number that works for everyone. 
Um, we did actually a, a survey of our um, our audience. We got about 8,000 people to respond to it, nice. you know, asking this question. And we found that there was an incredibly wide array of responses that people had. And we also looked at their satisfaction levels and mm-hmm. also found that there were people who were satisfied at like every different range. So it was just a Absolutely. good drilling home that point. Um I will say though, I think instead of focusing so much on how much sex is everybody else having, exactly how much sex should I be having, we should take some of that energy and challenge ourselves to have sex more often than we might naturally, I'm doing that in air quotes, <laughs> naturally feel the desire. Because yes. I really believe that sex requires a lot of effort from us, going back to what yes. we were talking about earlier. And it's so the intention. Can, yeah, right? it's effort the intention and intention towards doing mm-hmm. that because you know for many of us it can definitely just be like okay no we're still busy and that that in a way again is it's um you know I know some people talk about it as like you're exiting from the relationship you're not mm-hmm. being vulnerable you're not being emotionally close it's like oh yeah I just got some more work to do or oh no video games kids yeah. you know sports whatever yeah yeah. So yeah, I think we can, you know, let's challenge ourselves to to pay more attention, spend more energy on our sex lives. And by the way, that doesn't just mean intercourse. It means, you know, any sort of sexual uh, activity that you can experience with your partner. But yeah, there there is no magic number that if you just have sex X number of times per week or per month, everything mm-hmm. else is good. We really have to figure out what works for us. That, that's the key piece there is the what works for us. How are we co-creating this, right? That if someone wants it five times a week and the other person wants it once a month, then that's where we're going to bump up against each other. Mm-hmm. And then the important piece there is how are we going to find that space together to respect mm-hmm. both of each other's needs? So that's not about giving up your entire self, yeah. but rather showing up together, right? That's that connection and autonomy and what it means to be a couple and mm-hmm. differentiated. I I mean, I could talk for hours about this. <laughs> Me too. Um, I mean, I have so many more questions. We haven't talked about myths around men or if they have lower sex drives. And I just think there's so much more to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, but for today, I want to thank you, mm-hmm. Vanessa, for being here with me. And can you tell us more about what you have going on? You have courses out. Tell us where we can find you and what's going on in your world. Yeah. Thank you so much. I've had such a blast chatting with you. We'll have to do a part two and get into all that other stuff, but um, you can find me. There are two places. First is on my website, vmtherapy.com. We have tons of free guides available, all kinds of blog posts, and you can check out all of our courses. We have stuff about female orgasm, you know, learning how to orgasm, balancing Uh mismatched sex drives, increasing low sex drives, having more fun in the bedroom. And then over on social, I'm most active on Instagram and my handle is Vanessa Marin therapy over there. So like I said, Xander and I do daily stories where we have like fun polls, sharing embarrassing stories, all kinds of stuff. So we really love connecting with people there. That's great. Thank you so much. I will put all of that information in the show notes and thank you for just sharing your wisdom here with us. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to. Remember, this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not substitute for the care from a licensed mental health care provider. Until next time, take good care of you and remember you are right where you need to be.
What's up, guys? I'm Gabrielle Stone, host of FML Talk. After being love-bombed, married, and cheated on, trust me, I've got some perspective on love, heartbreak, trauma, and healing. FML Talk has become weekly therapy for my listeners, where I give you a safe space to heal with, of course, a few F-bombs thrown in fun girl talk episodes, solo episodes that will guide you on your healing journey, and guests with stories that will leave your jaw on the floor. Grab a cocktail and come hang with me every Wednesday on FML Talk.